17, verses 22 through 33. And this is what it says. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, thou, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked onto the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that our hearts be open to hear your word, that our pastor be anointing because the anointing breaks strongholds. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, you would speak through him this morning. And I pray there be a liberty in this house to preach the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I've probably preached on this passage of scripture many, many, many different times. I don't even know how many times we preached on it. It's one of the most probably preached passages there is within Scripture. And as I begin to study for this week, I had a blank all week long, and at the last minute, the Lord began to take me back to this familiar story. And I thought, Lord, I've preached everything in this thing that I know. And all of a sudden, God began to take me a different path that I had never seen before. God never ceases to amaze me. When you think you've learned everything that you think you can learn about a passage of Scripture, I want to tell you, God can out of nowhere just bring something alive in it that you've never seen after studying it for 35 years. God is an awesome God, isn't he? And there's so many hidden treasures in the Scripture. There's so much hidden mystery that's there that we got to continually understand that we need eyes to see, ears to hear, and that God would reveal his purposes throughout the, the word of the Lord. So we're going to go a different way than normal in this passage. I'll probably be a little slower in my preaching because I feel like it's kind of one of those teaching type, preaching type things like last week. I know I ended up getting back in probably third gear. I didn't hit fourth or fifth. But uh, nevertheless, we're going to try to slow down a little bit so the Lord can speak to us really what he wants out of our lives here today. But before I get into the scripture text, I want to say to each and every one of us here that you are formed with destiny. Everybody in this building, whether you realize it or not, God has a predestined plan for your life and everyone is involved in the destiny. Each and every one of us has a destiny to reach and a destiny to conquer. And even though that we are destined, yet I want you to know we are the ones that have to pursue our destiny in God and claim it and lay hold of it. And we have to conquer the forces that is against us to achieve or to arrive at that destiny. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no favorites. We know without a shadow of a doubt that God is not a 
respecter of persons. It was Peter that said in Acts chapter 10, 34, concerning the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the Gentiles at Canaan's house, where God gave him the open vision, you know the scripture, that he said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. The apostle Paul said in the book of Romans chapter two, verse 11, he said, for there is no respect of persons with God. And then in Romans 10 and 12, Paul again said, for there's no difference between the Jew or the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon his name. And then Paul sums it up by saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, for as the body is one and has many members and all of the members of that one body being many are one body, yet so is Christ. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and we've all been made to drink of that spiritual drink. And when I look at these scriptures, I am amazed because no one is counted out. No one is left behind. No one has to come up short. I love that because God has no favorites. He has no darlings. He has no pets. And he doesn't favor one over another. And what he offers to one, he offers to everybody. I love that scripture that says that you and I have the same opportunity to drink of the same spiritual drink as everybody else. Everybody's always saying, I wish I had their anointing. I wish I had their giftedness. I wish I had their talent. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. Well, the truth of the matter is you can have whatever you want to have in Christ because of the fact you have the ability and the access to the same spiritual drink as everybody else. Can I have an amen? I want you to understand that when it comes to the level of anointing, when it comes to the level of knowing God and having the favor of God, each and every one of us has the same right to walk in and drink of the same spiritual drink that everybody else drinks of. Can I have an amen? And God will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. Amen? Did you know every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, where there's neither variableness nor shadow of turning, that God cannot even turn from wanting to do good to you? So therefore, I want this body to understand something, that all of us has the same access to the blessings and the abundance of God in Christ Jesus. That means you can be blessed just like everybody else. Give the Lord praise for that that he don't have any favorites, that he doesn't have special people, that he does special things with and leaves everybody else out. We're a part of the plan. We're a part of the picture. We're a part of the family. He has no orphans. There is no orphans in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that. But why is it that we live with an orphan mentality or a stepchild mentality? There are, you know, in the kingdom of God, there's no one greater than another. There's no one more important than the other in the eyes of God. There are many different giftedness. There's different positions and callings and different levels of anointing. But when it comes to the level of importance, we are all on equal ground in the sight of the Lord. Can I have an amen? I want you to know we're all equal in the sight of the Lord. The prophet is no more important than the custodian. The preacher is no more important than the parking attendant. And the apostle is no more important than the church greeter. I want you to understand, we may give different levels of honor, different levels of respect due to position, I understand that. But in the eyes of God, when it comes to the importance, there's no difference between the preacher, the apostle, and the prophet to the normal, common, everyday, hard-laboring saints that's in the church doing the will of God in their calling. Can you give the Lord praise for that? Amen. 
Matter of fact, Paul said that. It was the Apostle Paul that said, and referring to the church in a physical body in a symbolic way, this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 14. He said, for the body is not one member, but there's many members in the body. He said, if the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand and I'm not a part of the body, is it not a part of the body? And if the ear shall say, I'm not the eye, but, but if he says I'm not the eye, does that make him not a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. Now that means abide in the calling where you're at because there's nothing greater than you obeying God and fulfilling God in your calling and don't try to have somebody else's calling or somebody else's mantle. David could not wear King Saul's armor. He had to have his own armor. And you need to stay in the calling that God has called you to be and rejoice in it because it's significant and it's important. And then he said, if, the, if they were all one member, where the, if we were all preachers, this would be a boring life. Can I have an amen? What would happen if we was all singers? We'd all get in here and we'd have a spirit of competition and we would fight who was going to get to sing the next song. And there's only so many places to sing, so some of us would go a year or two without ever getting to sing and do our ministry. There are many members, many callings, but we're all one body. But now that there are many members, yet one body, he says, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head say to the feet, I have no need of thee. Verse 22 and 23 is where I really want to pay attention. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem, say the word seem. Now that seems to be, but that ain't the way it is. It seems to be more feeble than necessary. I want you to understand that little toe on your foot, it may seem to be a small little bitty part of the body, but it's necessary. Can I have an amen? And then it says, and those members of the body which seem, say the word seem, less honorable, upon these we bestow abundant honor. I like that because, you know, us preachers and us uh, singers and people like that, they get up here on the stage, we get in the limelight and people come by and pat us on the back from time to time. We have our reward. But I want to tell you, those people that are in the grassroots of the church, those people that are doing nursery and those people are driving buses and those people that are doing the vacuuming and those people that are cleaning the floors and those people that are scrubbing the commodes, I want you to know that may seem to be a less honorable position, but the Lord says they'll have abundant and double honor for what they're doing. Can I have an amen? You're important. There is no such thing as a life without significance in the kingdom of God. And can I tell you, we are all important. We're all necessary. We're all needed in the kingdom of God, regardless of our position, our title, or our calling. And can I tell you, the destiny that is laid out before us is important. And what you do as an individual is very essential. Everyone's destiny is necessary and extremely important to the growth and the success of the kingdom. Do you not understand that you have a key that is, that is uh, tied to the success of the kingdom of God? If you fail in your destiny, there's a part of the kingdom that is robbed. Think about that. And let me tell you this, what you're doing in the kingdom work is eternal work, so therefore, what we are doing has eternal significance tied to it and not just temporal things. You can go out and become a billionaire and you've accomplished a great thing, but if you win one show, you've accomplished something greater because what you have done is greater in the scope of eternity than making a billion dollars and living 100 years. Can I have an amen? 
We have eternal significance in our lives. Everyone is valuable. Everyone's important. Everyone is of a great worth to the Lord. And the God called common fishermen, literally, to turn the world upside down. Do you not realize that? Oh, common fishermen. God chose a Moses who had a speech impediment to be his spokesman to go up to Pharaoh. Now, who would have ever done that? He couldn't talk. He had a problem. But Pharaoh, he could not. He had a speech impediment. God chose a David, a little red-headed, rudy boy, a beauty boy, a ladies' man. Can you imagine a little bitty red-headed boy to kill a giant and become the king of Israel? Who would have ever thought? Matter of fact, when the prophet Samuel anointed all the sons of David, he left David out. He couldn't imagine that that was the one that God had picked. Never say that you're unimportant, unneeded, unwanted, unable, incapable, and worthless. Because I want to tell you, God has chosen the least likely to do the unlikely. Can I have an amen? Matter of fact, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the base things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Do you not understand it is God that enables the unable? It's God that equips the unequipped. It's God that qualifies the unqualified. God is not looking for your abilities. Without him, you can do nothing. I'm not called according to my ability. I'm called according to grace. And can I tell you, without God, I am nothing. All God's looking for is someone just to stand up and show up and be available. He's looking for your availability. It isn't what I got to to offer God that counts. It's what he's got to offer me. Can I have an amen? Oh, man, I'm about to preach. Woo, I'm about to get in fifth gear here. I want this body to be edified here today. No one will ever reach their destiny if they don't see their importance and their value to the kingdom of God. Look at somebody and say, you're valuable to the kingdom of God whether you know it or not. And now say, you better come to know it because if you don't know it, you'll lose your value. Amen, you'll abort it. Amen. No one will pursue something they don't believe in. You're not going to put no effort in pursuing something you don't believe in. Matter of fact, no one will ever try something they don't believe that they can actually achieve. Matter of fact, no one will ever take a chance at something that they think is unattainable. No one will ever accept a challenge if they can't see it being possible. Can I have an amen? And the church is so limited because they are limited in the view scope of their possibilities because they're looking at themselves. They're looking at their education, where they come from. They're looking at all of the different kinds of problems that they have. They're looking at their circumstances. They're looking at their frailties. They're looking at their weaknesses. And yet God, he sees all of that. But the thing that you've left out of the scope and the plan of God is God himself working through you and in you. In your weakness, he's made strong. God would rather have a weak vessel that knows it than a strong, arrogant person that thinks he's got it all together. He can't work with a man like that. God gets more glory working through something weak than he does getting through something strong because man will always try to take the praise and the glory away from him and account it to himself. I stand here today, and if there's any good in Kip Miller, or if there's any success, it is all because of the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. I am a weakling, I am a failure, and I know it, but I'm important and valuable to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Man, I'm about to chase a rabbit, and I don't have time. Have me like to rabbit hunt. How many of them things will circle over and over and over and you sometimes say, that preacher just keeps, he's so repetitious that's the rabbit circling. <laughs> Amen. When you look at Matthew 14, 22, you see Jesus giving his disciples a destiny. 
And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship, go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. Now, where, where's the destiny? It's on the other side. Now, we know where our destiny is. Our destiny is heaven. It's on the other side. Our destiny is get to glory. We are predestined to get there through Jesus Christ. That's a different message altogether. But we know prior to this that Jesus had just performed a miracle in, the, in, the, in, the, in front of the disciples and feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and uh, five loaves of bread and two small fishes. But not only that, the Bible says that there were 5,000, they're not counting women and children, there were somewhere around 12, they estimate anywhere from 12 to 15,000 people there. And Jesus fed them with five loaves of bread and two small fishes. Immediately after the miracle, Jesus puts the disciples in a boat and he tells them, go over to the other side. Now let me say this, everything that God does, he does on purpose. Say that. It's not an accident that God shows up at times in your life and does something in your life. Matter of fact, why was it that God just performed miracles? We'll reveal it in just a minute. But they're going over to the other side. Was on, when they were going on the other side, they were leaving on a high note. Man, they just seen miracles. Man, they just seen the feeding of the 5,000, not counting other miracles of healing prior to that in the ministry that they had been in. But there was something else that was taking place that we got to consider. When you read stories, you just read through them. A lot of times you don't pay attention to times and events, what all went on, what the weather was like, and how far they had to walk, and, and what was the settings, and how uncomfortable was the setting. Folks, we come in here, and it's easy to sit in a chair for an hour. We complain about it, but if the preacher goes an hour, we complain about it. But they sit out on a hillside on the ground all day long in the middle of the desert with the sun scorching. Come on. So not only are they leaving on a, a high point, they've been around the miracles, the disciples are also tired and weary and fatigued because they've been doing ministry for the last 12 to 14 hours. They're tired. Their physical wore out. And let me say this. There are times in my ministry when I am at my highest point under the highest level of anointing that I've ever flowed in and it feels so good and it feels so wonderful and I leave that service with a high note yet I am completely exhausted physically. That's where these disciples are at. When that anointing lifts, whew, you're just completely wore out. Sometimes I'm getting a little older and thank God I am getting thinner. I'll repent later. But I'm getting older and I'm getting a little heavier and I used to could just go, 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 working on altars, do it all and then walk out kind of tired. But now I have to crawl back to my front seat and flop down because there is exhaustion in ministry. Nevertheless, the disciples get in the boat and they're headed to their destiny. And we see as the disciples head for their destiny, something happens. Verse 24 says, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea. And notice the word mist. I, when you dissect scripture, sometimes it just amazes you. I wasn't even going to say this, but God puts them in a position of no return. They're not close to the shoreline of where they left, and they're not close to the shoreline of their uh, arrival. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And some got times God places you in those, those places on purpose. He places you in the purpose of getting you over your head getting you beyond your, the ability of yourself to take care of yourself. Sometimes God puts you into not only unpleasant circumstances, but I want to tell you impossible situations. 
There's times in my life I have looked and I said, that is impossible. Jenny, we're done. We're through. We're over. Jenny was always in the early years, oh, you're not through. You're not. That God ain't done with you. God's a God of impossibility. Man, she's always, when I was younger, I wasn't as solid in the faith as I am right now. My wife helped disciple me. I'm being honest about that. And she's always the one that encouraged me in the times of the test and the storms. And true it is that even though you find yourself in the mist, out in the middle of nowhere, over your head, facing an impossibility, don't give up because God's on the horizon. Amen? The Bible says, but the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, isn't it odd that some of the most severe storms that you will face in life comes right after a high note? God always edifies before he allows the storm to come. He equips you in advance to be able to face the storm that's approaching. What would have happened if they hadn't been edified and lifted up? Come on. So when you get, I, I better watch out here because you'll get, you'll get over analytical here. I'm not saying that every time that God blesses you, look for a storm the next day. But I am saying that a lot of times it does happen that way. There's a lot of times when I get really edified, really blessed, and just, whoa, man, God's on the move, revival's here, and everything's grand and glorious. The next day, I face hell. The next day, what in the world happened from Sunday night to Monday? There's been a lot of times I think heaven's gonna come down on Monday, and we're gonna have revival only for when Monday comes, I'm ready to resign. Come on, somebody ever been there? That's where these disciples were at. They're on a high note. And all of a sudden, they get in a boat. They go out in the sea, doing the, obeying the command of God. And they find themselves right in the midst of the storm. But now notice, it's no accident also that the storm don't come at a vulnerable time in their midst because the disciples are tired and they're weak and they're frail and they're wore out. And the enemy knows exactly when you're vulnerable. Come on. The very ship that Jesus sent his disciples out in and the very route he chose for them to take now, they're following the Lord here. This is the plan of God. They're following the route that God has told them to go. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in one of the, most, one of the worst storms of their whole professional careers as fishermen. They've been out on that sea a million times, but they've never come up against a storm like this. How do I know? Look up the Greek word for contrary. You know what it means? Hurricane-level storm. It's no ordinary storm. This storm is a storm that they've ne like they've never faced before. This storm is off the charts. Have you ever been in storms that's been off the charts? Have you ever been in those storms that's man? I'm not. It's it, only only by the grace of God are we going to pull through this. That's where they were at. There are those storms that comes to our life that's just natural storms. How many knows that? Of course there is storms that the unjust and the just face alike. They're just the normal routines of frustrations and hardships and trials and storms of the natural making. All of us face storms. We go to the work and there's difficulties sometimes on our jobs and there's difficulties with raising children and there's just sometimes storms come up even in the natural where there's hell and where there's heavy rains and where there's heavy winds and we have damages to our home. You know, that's just normal stuff that we all face. The just and the unjust alike face those kinds of things. But then there are other storms that God causes himself. How many knows that? Like the storm that of Jonah, that Jonah faced. These are storms to help us get back on our path, back to our destiny. 
the God created storms are storms he creates to get us back on course to our destiny that we've abandoned or that we have forsook. God loves us so much that he will not leave us where we're at without trying to get us back on course to where we need to be. God loves us. God told Jonah, you go to Nineveh and preach. And the Bible tells us that he fled to Joppa. He caught a boat to go to Tarsus to flee from the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to obey God. And God created a storm which caused Jonah to be thrown overboard in the sea. We know that because the crew members cast lot to see what in the world, call, who in the world has caused this storm to happen. And it landed on old Jonah. So they knew that the storm was of God making. And the only way to get rid of the storm is to get rid of the person that caused the storm. And so what did they do? They, the lot fell on Jonah and the crew recognized then that this is our problem. We got to get rid of him and they discarded him and threw him off of the ship. Did you know that when you get off course to your destiny, that it doesn't just affect you, it affects your house, your family, your kids, your church, your friends, your community. Do you not understand that? To get off of your destiny, your destiny is so valuable, not only to the kingdom and not only to yourself, but it affects everything around you. And when you're off course, I'm telling you, things around you suffer. The things that you love the most, that's why it's important to stay on course. And did you know that if you get off course just an inch, may not seem much, but when you do 20 miles and take an inch and keep veering, you'll be off, way off. Can I have an amen? Your life has meaning, your destiny has purpose, and when it's aborted or dismissed, it leaves devastating, lasting effects upon the land. The purpose that wasn't fulfilled, the assignment that wasn't finished, the goal that wasn't accomplished, and the results that was not produced leaves a void of the good that God desires to accomplish in the land and the kingdom of God itself begins to suffer loss because of our neglect. You and I do not have the right to neglect the call of God on our lives. It's without repentance. The Bible tells us that God had prepared a great fish. As a matter of fact, Jesus called it a well in the New Testament. And um, they threw Jonah overboard and the well swallowed him up. And, it stayed, and he stayed in the belly of the well. <coughs> Excuse me. He stayed in the belly of the well for three days and for three nights. Praise the Lord. Lift up your voices for a moment. Praise the Lord while I take a drink. <clears throat> I think there's a well in my throat. <clears throat> but he stayed in the belly of the well for three days and for three nights. And it was there that finally Jonah repented. And when he repented, he stayed captive under the bondage of God himself until he repented. God put so much pressure on him. God knows how to get your attention. Aren't you thankful for that? No one loves the belly well experiences, but they're necessary in life to get you back on course. And it was there that the, when he finally repented, the belly got an upset stomach and he threw Jonah up on a seashore. And guess where he threw him up at? on the path to take him to Nineveh. 
He fleed the presence of God, but God turned him around through the belly of the well and brought him right back to where he started. And then when he was spewed out upon that shore, he said, arise, O Jonah, and go to that great city Nineveh and cry against it, preach against it. It don't matter how long you ignore it, run from it, reject it, hide from it, flee from it, your destiny never changes. That is the call on your life for the rest of your life. Then there's storms in our lives like that of our text. It's not God created and it's not of a natural storm. These storms come from the evil one. They're supernatural storms. These storms was of the making of principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Here are the disciples right in the will of God, obeying Christ's command, and they find themselves in the, one of the worst storms of their life. The text says that the winds were contrary, and this means that the winds were against them and they were trying to blow them off course. Christ is telling them to go one way, telling them to go to one place to reach a certain destiny, and the wind is trying to shove them another way. And here they are caught between two forces. Have you ever been there? Have you ever really wanted to obey God and everything in the world fight and oppose you and come against you, even your own flesh? Sometimes even our own desire. We have to even fight our own desire. But I have found myself many times where I hear the Lord say, do this or do that or go here or go there or, or just know the things that I need to be doing as a Christian in my devotions and everything in the world sets out to oppose me to keep me from doing that. While I'm trying to go forward, there's a wind of opposition that's bucking me that has been created by principalities and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness and happen. it's demonic in nature and they're fighting me and they're opposing me from reaching my destiny. Every single one of you in here that's got a desire to meet your destiny, you're going to find opposition and you're going to find resistance. That is a common thing. So if you're not a fighter, you're not going to win. We got to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Can I have an amen? We got to be a good soldier in the kingdom. This is a fight. This is not only a race, it's a fight. All the things around them seem to be contrary, pushing them in a different way, while God was sending them another way. And let me tell you, the minute you set out to do the will of God and obey him, there is the attempt by the devil to stop you. The devil does not want you to go into your destiny. Why? You know why? Because the devil knows the importance, more import, the, the importance of your destiny more than you do. So many people don't understand this, but the devil believes in them more than they believe in themselves. Why would the devil fight me if I, if I don't have anything to offer God? If my life has no purpose, if it has no meaning, if I'm a no good slime bucket like, like I think I am sometimes, when I'm no good and I can't got nothing to offer and I'm weak and I'm and we give all these things, if I'm all of that, then why does the devil have any interest in trying to stop me from to reach my destiny? Why? Because my destiny has an anointing upon it. It has power upon it and it is influential and it, has, it is essential and it is important and God values it and so does the devil. Folks, I want you to understand your life has more to offer than what you can ever even comprehend. Can I have an Amen. I cannot even recognize, you cannot even recognize the scope of the big picture of when it's all said and done of what our life really had 
effect upon throughout not only our, our communities and our family, but throughout the region. I, I like that story. It's one of my favorite Christmas stories. How many ever watches It's a Wonderful Life? Boy, there's a bunch of sinners in here. You've not watched It's a Wonderful Life? You got to get that. Amen? You find, you find a guy by the name of George Bailey that finds out what life would be like without him, if he had never been born. And let me tell you something, folks. You and I got to understand something, that I have significance, you have significance, you're important, and you're doing far more above anything than you ever even thought in your life just by obeying God in the small things. Because when you do it, God makes something big come out of it. Can I have an amen? Devil don't want you to go into your destiny. The devil does not want you to fulfill your assignment for life. And when one does their best to follow Jesus and obey his voice, there's always an element that's trying to get you to go back, uh, go back and stop, abort, get off course to your assignment. There's distractions, there's frustrations, and you can't let them stop you from your destiny. When you're to go to that place that Jesus is sending you and reach the destiny that he's assigned to you, there will always be somebody or something that will try to cause you to return back to the place from where you came from. Amen? Always, constantly. The sad part of it is sometimes it's not just the devil that uh, doesn't want us to succeed and achieve, but sometimes it is those closest to us and the friends that we even hang around. You know why? Because when you're at your highest, it'll show them their weakness. Some, some do not want you to see because it reveals their own lack and doubt and their own failure and it challenges them and it makes them feel uncomfortable and it stretches them, makes them to see where they're at spiritually. The more spiritual you get, the less following you will have and it can become very lonely at the top when you're walking in the full anointing of God because there's a lot of people that won't follow with you. You outgrow them. Some of you gotta learn, you outgrow relationships. And if you keep staying in the same relationship that you've got now, you'll always be what you are right now. If they're not willing to come, go without them. I said, if they're not willing to follow you and go with you, get, don't leave them behind. Can I have an amen? Your passion to obey must be stronger than the forces against you to achieve. We also have to understand to pursue your destiny demands that you learn how to step out of the ordinary and learn to walk in the extraordinary. Now watch this. To walk in divine destiny, you have to learn to operate in the power of the spirit instead of the works of the flesh. We have to learn how to walk in the spirit and not be able to walk in our own limited strength, in our own empowerment, in our own, our own intellect. It's a part of God's plan to move us from mediocrity to magnificence. Look at somebody and say, God wants to take you to magnificent things. Do you really believe that? How many believe it? You know, really, when you think about it, you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, God wants to take me to magnificence. We ought to be jumping up and screaming and hollering and dancing. Whoa, praise the Lord. God's wanting to make something magnificent happen in my life. Can I have an amen? God wants to take us from where we are now to where we need to be. However, in order to move us from where we are now, we're going to have to learn how to make decisions in life that are in line with the will of God. Come on now. You can't just make any old decision you want, when you want, how you want it, and tailor make your life and have a life blessed by God. You've got to walk out the will of God. There will come a time in each and every lives when we are confronted with a decision that is crucial 
to whether or not that we will experience the miraculous or whether we're going to remain where we're at right now in the mediocre. Life is full of decisions, full of decisions. What to wear, where to go eat. That right there has busted up more homes than anything. You get in the car, where you want to go? I don't know, where you want to go? I don't know. Well, you're the man. You're supposed to make the decision. I like a man that takes charge. Okay, we'll go to Long John. I don't like Long John's. Well, you told me to make the decision. Well, choose something. Well, we'll go to pizza. I don't like that either. Have you ever been there? 35 minutes fighting about where we're going to eat. Decisions, decisions. And the kind of struggle that we have in those everyday common decisions, we have those same kind of struggles in the spirit realm to make the right decisions to follow the will of God for our lives. There's decisions such as where to go to school, where to go to work, where to go to church, who to marry, where to live. Serious decisions. Life is full of important decisions. We make them every day. Every single day we're confronted with those decisions and these decisions are turning points that will either take us towards something incredible or they will continue to separate us from the miraculous. And it's according what kind of decisions that we make. These decisions are places of critical importance because they determine the direction that will, that will, they will, they will determine the direction that your life will take from that point on. Matter of fact, you are where you are today by the decisions that you made of yesterday. Can I have it, amen? And wherever you'll be from 20 years from now will be according to the decisions that you make today. Your decisions determine your destiny. Before you make a decision, see where it's leading you. Can I have an amen? These decisions are confrontations in your life that will have an effect on all the things that occur afterwards. These decisions are places of determination, conclusion, and choice. What do I mean by that? It is in this place of determination that you are making choices that will determine the direction that your life will take from this point on. And in this life, we all have to make those choices. We have to face those decisions. And those choices will either open up some new areas of excitement or they're going to leave us uh, they're going to leave us with empty illusions and they'll remove the options from our lives. In fact, the word decision, the word decision actually comes from a word that means to cut off. So what does that mean? It carries the connotation that once you stood in the place of decision, you have in essence cut off other uh, possibilities. When I make a decision, everything else that was trying to make me go different ways is cut off. It's done. My mindset, come on. But a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, according to James. I hear the Spirit saying to me, for too long my people are saying, I'm waiting for the right time to make my decision. Others are waiting to get in the right place or waiting to get things in order. Well, when I get this done and when I get that done, I'll do this and I'll do that. Before they ever make a decision, everything's got to be perfect. Let me say this. If you're sitting around waiting for the right time and you're sitting around waiting for everything to get in order, you're going to sit the rest of your life. Amen? As a matter of fact, the decisions that you're about to make, the incredible things that come out of it help you succeed in the things that is lacking in your life right now. Matter of fact, some of the most important decisions you will ever make will be in the face of conflict, adversity, and in the storms of life. Matter of fact, it was in this storm that Jesus forced his disciples to make a decision. He forced it. Sometimes we get comfortable in the miraculous. We get comfortable in the workings of the church, and we sit down, and we stay in the same old mode. That's why churches sing the same old songs and 
same that had the same old rhythm, some of them for years and years and years, and you try to change, and they can't accept any kind of a new vein of God whatsoever. Some people are singing the same songs they have sang for 40 years. Come on. Why? They got comfortable with it. But God will stir their nest. He'll get them out in the midst of the storm, and he will challenge them to change if they will. If you sit around and wait till everything's in order, you're going to wait the rest of your life. The time to step out and truly follow Jesus in this new time of anointing is now. How many knows that God's shaking the world up? If he's shaking the world, he's shaking the kingdom of God up too. And right now there's a time of a new deposit of the glory of God in the church and we better be the first one to say, I'm ready to walk in it. My decision is to follow Jesus in this hideous time. Right now, God's speaking to this pastor and saying, everything about who you are and everything about who the church is has got to change in order to survive the upcoming events that's about to take place. Come on now, are you with me? I'm not trying to scare you. Folks, we're headed in the days of sorrow. We're headed in the last days prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Things are not gonna be normal and for things not to be normal, that means that you gotta walk in the extraordinary in order to be able to survive because your ordinary way of living is cut off. You are in the midst of a storm that's over your head that's above about what you're able to handle and the only way to survive it is to listen to the voice of God, follow the will of God in these pressing times. Say, here I am, Lord. I do not fear, but I follow thee. That's a word of the Lord for you today. Amen. These unprecedented times means that extraordinary measures got to, got to take place. Supernatural abundance has to come or will not survive. You're not going to survive this in your natural ability and in your natural strength and in your own wisdom. There's going to be a great falling away to everyone that tries to do that kind of stuff. The time is to step out and to follow Jesus is now. God's about to launch his army. How many knows that? No matter what you're going through, no matter what issues are pressuring you, no matter what kind of obstacles there is in front of you, no matter what storms you are faced with right now, I hear Jesus saying, come, just like he told Peter in the boat. Now, I've never seen this in scripture before, but this is something that God revealed to me. The storm was severe. It appeared that the disciples would be lost. It really did. But we have to understand that Jesus sent them into the boat, but when he sent them, he went up to a mountain to pray. The storm that's approaching our country, God's allowing us in this decade, he's trusted us with it, it's in the air in which we live. That's not by accident. He's going to give us commands and we've got to follow those commands, but listen to me. While he's given us those commands, he's seated high on a mountaintop at the right hand of God in the throne praying for us. <laughs> Them disciples did not go out in that storm without a prayer covering. The master didn't get in the ship with them but the master went up on top of the mountain and prayed over them. <laughs> and can I tell you today, in, in, Jesus not only is praying for them, he's praying for us. In your decision making of life, you have an intercessor praying over you. He's pleading your case before the Father. He's praying for you to make the right decision. He's praying uh, 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 the protection of God and the seal of the Spirit in your life. In this prayer time, 
we see Jesus refreshed himself and he's able to discern the direction of his life and the direction of his ministry. Remember, he's, he's a human and he's out here praying and while he's praying, he gets discernment of what's happening to the disciples and because of his prayer life, he's following the divine destiny of God and because he's following the divine destiny of God, favor comes, discernment comes, he finds out what to do and through his prayer life, he says, uh-oh, my disciples are in trouble so he goes to them. That's all because he's following his destiny. Aren't you glad that he prayed? Because it was through that prayer he gets discernment to come to where they were at. And the next thing that we see, Jesus comes walking on the water in the fourth watch of the night. We preached on that before, and I'm not going to speak on that much. But the fourth watch is the last watch. Have you ever really thought, how long is this trial going to last? Amen. The first watch is from 6 to 9. The second watch is from 9 to 12. The third watch is from 12 to 3 a.m. in the morning. And the fourth watch is from 3 a.m. in the morning to 6 a.m. Folks, they've been out there all night long. It's 3 o'clock in the morning at least, maybe 4, maybe 5, almost 6. Nothing has happened. They fought this thing all night long. They've already been tired and fatigued from the previous ministry. And here they are. Have you ever felt like you're at the end of your rope, you're done, you're through, and the more that you toil and the more you fight and the more you pray, nothing ever happens and the season of suffering is long? How many's ever felt that? Amen. Amen. Man. They battled the wind. I gotta stop and obey the Lord for a minute. It's just impressing me. I, I, I don't know why. But I just feel like there's somebody here with a lump. Well, Lord just revealed it to me and I, I just can't go on any farther until I deal with it. You've got a lump and I don't know exactly where it's at and I, I don't know why. I just kind of feel like it's in the general area of the neck or the throat or somewhere like that. The Lord wants to heal you of that right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If it's you, would you just kind of stand right where you're at for a moment? There's somebody here with that. Right back here. I don't, come up here, sir. Huh. There's two of them. God, just stop this service because this is bearing down on you. You've been in a trial over a lump. It's got you concerned, don't it? You gotta have surgery. Where's it at? All right, right in the neck area. Where's yours at? All right. I wanna tell you something, how much God loves you. Y'all been in the storm this that lump's been really, you're, you, it's really been pouring down on you. Heavy, hasn't it? Well, I want to tell you what just happened. Discernment came. That means Christ has come upon the scene. That means the watch is over. Daybreak's here. Light sprung up. And in the name of Jesus, Randy, come and lay hands on them. Father, in the name of Jesus, heal my brother's lump. God, take it away. Calm the storm and let him know that, Father, without a shadow of a doubt, that, Father, you're with him as you were with the disciples. This is a confirmation. Let the miraculous take place in Jesus' name. God, the same for my brother Brad. God, the lump shall dissipate just like Roxanne's cancer. Roxanne's cancer is free and gone and his love shall also be gone in the same way in Jesus' name. 
Now let the saints stand and glorify God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, I just feel like the Lord said, have him praise me some more for that. Look how much he loved these people. Praise the name of the Lord. All it is, guys, the devil trying to stop your destiny. He'll not stop it. The devil can't stop it. Now, let me show you something. It'll affect these guys, too. Just because the presence of God is here doesn't mean the result has happened yet. You may be seated. They battled the wind. They fought the opposition all night long. But Jesus comes right to them. He's never late. We always quote the scripture, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's it is coming that there, there's a daybreak about to happen in the life of these disciples. Light is about to overtake the shadows of uncertainty. I love that. Have you ever been in a place of uncertainty? The shadows, even the shadow of death feels like it's creeping up on you. And when Jesus comes to your situation, you can begin to expect the miraculous to happen. Matter of fact, you can begin to expect daybreak to open up in your situation. Jesus comes walking on the water and they think, oh, he's a spirit, he's a ghost. But he identifies himself and says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. I like that. And when the darkness has hit us from the presence of God, God don't have a problem of identifying himself and making himself known. He's not mad at us that we can't see him for who he is because we're blurred by the circumstances around us. He loves us enough to say, oh, well, they didn't recognize me. Fooey on them. No, no. He says, hey, guys, it's okay. It's me. He knows how to bust into your blurred vision to give you a reality of who he is and where he's at in your life. Huh. Some of the most weakest points of my life, God has showed up and he's had to rattle my cage three or four times before I recognized that it was even God in the midst of the situation. Have you ever been there? Christ will identify himself. He will come out of hiding And then notice what happens. Notice what changes the course of the storm here. Notice, first of all, that it was not just his mere presence that changed the source of the storm. And matter of fact, even though Jesus is in the midst of the storm with these guys at this point, the storm's still happening. Just because these guys come up and the lump may or may not, I haven't checked it, But if the lump has not gone away, does not mean it's not going away. I tell you, the presence of God was here. He called them out. He revealed himself by loving them enough to stop a service, call them out, and when they come down, his presence was there, but even as his presence was in the midst of the storm, guess what? The storm is still going on. His presence did not immediately remove or calm that storm in the, just being his presence alone. I never really thought of it like that. The waves were still roaring. The wind was still blowing. The ship is still being tossed to and fro. Come on. The voices behind the scene are still speaking to the minds of the disciples. 
The crucial moment that changed everything wasn't until Peter sees Jesus and he reveals himself and Peter says, Lord, if, you, if it be you, he calls him Lord, Master, Sovereign God, if, you bid you, if it be you, bid me to come to where you're at. What was, really, what was really Peter saying? What was he seeking for? First of all, Peter was seeking divine relationship. He was seeking divine presence. He was saying, in your presence and presence alone is safety. What Peter was actually saying is, I'm safer out there on the water with you, Jesus, than I am in this boat. I'd rather be standing by Jesus in the midst of a sea than in a boat that's about to sink. That's what Peter was saying. And to his surprise, Jesus says, come on. Now, it was there in that decision that Peter stepped out of the ordinary into the extraordinary, and he began to walk on water. Here's where Peter chose the miraculous over the mundane. He chose the supernatural over the natural. He chose a life of faith over feeling and fear. He chose Christ over crisis. Amen? Here's where Peter made a difficult decision in the midst of pending danger and trouble. And God is speaking to me and saying there's pending danger and pending trouble on the horizon and you better be making the right decisions right now. Decisions are vitally important. Of The decisions you make in the next six months are vitally important to your survival. While all of the disciples were manning the ship, doing what was ordinary, Peter was an instrument that was changing the course of the ship's direction and changing the storm. Because in changing the storm, it was going to change the direction of the ship. Peter made a decision to step out on nothing and cause something to happen. And if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep having the same results that you've always had. He wasn't perfect in his decision. He made the decision to get out of the boat and walk on water. And there was a time that he did sink. But let me tell you, God spoke to me and he said, I don't care that I'm not worried about your weakness. I can work with your weakness, but I cannot work with your neglect. God don't care how many times you fail trying as long as you're trying. I'd rather be a failure trying than to be a failure that never tries to do anything. Amen? The only failure is the person that never tries to succeed. Well, what if I get out and what if? Well, what if? What if you fall down? There's a God that loves you enough that's gonna pick you up. Peter failed in his attempt, but I wanna tell you, Peter was the one that honored God, and then by honoring God, favor came upon that place, and it was Peter that when he began to sink, Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand and lifted him up, and it was Peter that escorted the presence of God back into the boat, and when they got in the boat, Jesus got in with them, and the Bible says the wind ceased. We say that Jesus calmed the waters. It wasn't Jesus that calmed the waters. It was Peter's act of faith when he stood out and he began to walk on the water while everybody else was still stuck in their own mode of thinking. It was Peter that saved the ship by willing to step out on nothing and make something happen. can summons the presence of God all you want and he can come in and his presence be there but I want to tell you it's not just about having his presence it's learning to walk his presence out walking in the spirit uh, earlier I got to get away from my notes so we're going to be here too long that's why I'm down here doing this 
Earlier we said that God's not a respectable person. The wives are scriptures that seem that he is. It talks about John, the disciple, in whom he loved. Does he love John more than the other disciples? Does he? Somebody give me an answer to that. Then why did the Bible say that? John, he's even called the beloved John, the disciple in whom Jesus loved. In other words, there was some of the people saying John had more favor than some of the other disciples. Is that true? I got to thinking about that. How about Noah? How about Job? Perfect men in their perfect and upright men in their generation and they found grace in the sight of God. How many know that grace is the unmerited favor of God? But how many know even though grace gives you unmerited favor, there is favor that God sometimes causes you to earn. Favor's earned. The closer I get to my destiny, the more favor I obtain. Amen? The more obedient that I am, come on, the closer I get to my destiny, God rewards it with abundant favor. Now, does he love me more than anybody else? No, because everybody has the ability to get close to their destiny. Everybody has the same opportunity to drink of the same spiritual drink. Why is it that some walk in a heavier anointing than others? It's because they're close to Jesus. You know what John done? He laid in his bosom. He laid in his lap. He sat there right beside him. He was always at his feet. He was already interested in what Jesus was always doing. And he obtained favor for what he did. Mary obtained favor over Martha because she was willing to do that which was necessary and important. And I'm telling the body, in these last days, we better get as close to our destiny as we can. Because when we obey God in the fullness of the Spirit, God will rain down favor like we've never seen before in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning? I preach a lot past my allotted time. 